Great. Thanks, Ashling. Thank you. Good, good morning, everyone. Although I guess I should say afternoon, everybody. We're technically afternoon. Hey, good to see you. I'm excited this morning. It's good to gather as church family. And in case you couldn't tell, this is my excited face and my excited voice. So, hey, we're just, it's just going to get better from here, right? Right. Okay, good. Um, man, JT's message last week was incredible. And as I've been preparing, I'm really excited to share with you. But I had a few other messages that I felt like I was going to be sharing on. And as I've been um, thinking, praying, preparing... I feel like we need to go a little bit deeper into what JT was sharing last week. And before we begin, um, I I read in Luke 5 earlier this week, and I feel like this is a word for someone. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 5 quickly. Uh, And we're actually going to be hanging out a little bit in Luke 4, so you won't be too far away from where we're going. Uh, But look at Luke 5, verse 12. While he, Jesus, while he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. He saw, he saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And as I was reading this, it's like the words leaped off the page and hit me smack between my eyes. And I felt the Father saying over us that I am willing. I am the eternal willing one. I am willing over your life. I am willing over your family. I am willing over your finances. I am willing over your job. I am willing over you. And there are some of us in this room who have been saying, God, would you help? God, would you please? God, do you care? God, do you see me? And I hear God saying over you, I am willing. I am willing. I am willing. And so if that's you... By faith, you can say, yes, Lord, I receive that. Lord, you are the eternal willing one over our lives. You have always been willing. There's never been a day that you have not been willing. Because that is why every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Because you are willing towards us. Amen. Come on. That's exciting. Sometimes I need to remind myself to tell my face that, that it's exciting, because I tend to be, uh, I, I don't have huge highs, I don't have low lows, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's amazing, that's great, but I mean it, and so if you ever talk to me and you're like, wait, John, are you excited? I will tell you if I'm excited or not, and I'll be honest with you, okay? So I'm excited this morning, everybody. God is good, he's on the move, and we are growing closer to him and becoming like him. Well, this morning, um, I, have, I, I have a lifelong fascination, a lifelong love with Jesus Christ. And I was preparing other messages. I was going to talk to you. I was thinking about maybe talking about God and suffering. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? I was thinking of talking about God and finances. Uh, thinking of preaching on Daniel. And I could not get away from the person of Jesus as I was praying, as I was preparing, I just could not move away from him. And so that's who we are going to study a little bit. That's who we're going to go a little bit deeper into this, this morning. 
And you may think, you may be thinking to yourself, John, of course you're going to say Jesus because you're a minister. You're a pastor. You're paid to talk about Jesus. You're paid to talk about your fascination with Jesus. Isn't that your job? It is, but please don't get it twisted. I'm a pastor because I'm radically in love with Jesus. I'm not radically in love with Jesus because I'm a pastor. It's only as I've seen him, it's only as I've walked with him, it's only as I've heard his voice that I have been changed and transformed and given my life to him. And because of that, I'm a pastor. And we can never, we can never come to the place where we lose our wonder with him. Because the moment we do that, we begin, to lose pow- we begin to lose touch with his power in our life, and that is the moment that burnout begins to happen. Because we try to minister out of who we are instead of out of who he is. And so I'd like to talk about this beautiful, wonderful, generous man who is fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ. So, if you have, please turn with me to Luke 3. We are going to look a little bit at what J, at the um, passage JT looked at last week, except we're going to look at it from Luke's, pers- Luke's perspective, and we're going we're to go in a slightly different direction. For those of you who are taking notes this morning, uh, my message is titled, Identity, say identity, say it like you mean it, Identity, Purpose, Power. Identity, purpose, power. That's where we're going. Luke 3, we're going to read two verses, and then we're going to skip over to Luke 4, verse 1, all right? Luke 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, In you I am well pleased. Skip over to Luke 4. Then Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. That is an understatement, everybody. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me. And I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everybody. My fascination with Jesus has extended for a good portion of my life. 
I love looking at his words. I love looking at his life. There's so much that we can draw from his life, so many lessons we can learn. But more than that, there's so much we learn about salvation, about who he is and who he's called us to be. And one of the things I frequently think about as I'm thinking about the life of Jesus is what is not recorded in Scripture. And that is the life of Jesus before he was 30 years old. See, when he shows up in the wilderness, he is about 30 years old. And how many of you know there's a whole lot of life that happens before the age of 30? Right? The only thing we have recorded is the record of his birth and the record of when he was 12 years old and he went into the temple and he was teaching the teachers of the law and they were marveling at his words. And that's it. That's all we know. We don't know uh, what did he like as a kid, what didn't he like, what did he struggle with, what, what was he good at? We know that he uh, took up the family business, that he became a carpenter. But that's about it. And I sometimes think to myself, what would, it, what would it have been like being with Jesus at a young age? I then sometimes think, man, his siblings had it tough. I would hate being the sibling of Jesus. Because no matter what you do, you can never measure up to him. No matter what you try, you can never be as good as him. Can you imagine... If you are Jesus' brother or sister, and you're running around, and Mary's trying to get you to calm down, but you just keep misbehaving, and Mary's like, John, stop it. Look at Jesus. Why can't you just be more like Jesus? And in my head, I'd be like, because he's the freaking son of God. That's why. Or I'd be like, hey, mom, I want to get you something. So I go to the well. I work really hard. I put the, uh, I, I get water for her. I carry it back to the house. I say, Mom, here you go. I brought you a drink of water. And she goes, thank you, John. Uh, Jesus, could you turn this into wine, please? (laughs) And I'd be like, Jesus, come on. Because no matter what you do, you just can't measure up. And then the other thing I think about is that a place where we draw a lot of our identity from is our family, is from our upbringing. We learn what's right. We learn what's wrong. We uh, learn what's, what's good, what's bad. We learn how to love or not love. We're, we're just taught a whole lot that we absorb, good and bad. And I sometimes wonder, what, would, what was Jesus thinking about? I mean, obviously we know that he has a purpose. He knows that he has a purpose. Later on, he's talking about how I have to go to every town. I have to go to every village. I have to preach because that is my purpose. But there are two questions that drive every single one of us. Who am I? What am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? The questions of identity and the question of purpose. Who am I? How do I define myself? Oh, I'm like this or I'm like that. Oh, I belong to this group. I don't belong to that group. When I was in high school, I was trying to figure out the many different groups I could belong to. Trying to figure out who was Jonathan. Uh, I went through a phase where I would listen to uh, techno music. Please, please don't cheer. That is not something to be cheering for, Ned. Sorry about that. Uh, I, then, I then decided that wasn't hardcore enough for me, so I switched over to some hard rock. Decided that wasn't hard enough, so I switched over to heavy metal. That wasn't hard enough, so I switched over to death metal. Death metal! 
and then from there I went over to hip hop and rap and R&B and yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like Biggie and Tupac and yeah, you know. Something I learned during that season was uh, if you get, if you have more money, you end up with more problems. I just want to let you know. For those of you who are wondering, this is the name of a song called Mo Money, More Problems. You know what I'm... Anyway. I was trying to figure out how to identify myself. What group do I fit in? Who do I belong to? Who's my tribe? And I think Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. And I cannot imagine the frustration level of 30 years not doing what you know in your bones that you were here to do. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been? Oh, is it when I'm 21? No. Or can you, can you imagine as he's growing up, when he turns 13, he goes through the Jewish ceremony of becoming a man. Oh, it's going to be when I'm 13. No, 14. No, 15. 16. 18, 20, 22. I can keep counting in twos all day. I'm just letting you know. 26, 28, 29. And then finally he comes before John the Baptist, who is his cousin, who they are very similar in age. John is just a little bit older than him. And John has started his ministry. John knows what he's called to do. John says that the one who sent me to baptize told me who to look for. So John knows, and John has gone, and John is so successful that crowds are coming out to see him and hear him. And if you're Jesus, what would you be thinking? Man, when's it my turn? When's this going to happen? It's the question of identity, and it's the question of purpose that hounds each one of us. And Jesus shows up. The father says, now is the time. Jesus goes, waits in line, goes and stands before John. And commentators have said that it was at the moment that Jesus is standing in front of John that John's eyes are opened. And John goes, oh my goodness, it's you, Jesus. You're the one I've been waiting for. You're the one I've been talking about. You're the one. And Jesus goes, yeah. It's about time. Hit me. Baptize me, baby. Immerse me. Sprinkle. Don't sprinkle. Dunk me. And he goes and John does what he's, what he's done for hundreds of people. Puts them under the water. Brings them up. And at that moment, something happens that has never happened before. And that is the heavens are torn open. The Spirit of God comes descending like a dove upon him. And the Father speaks and says, You are my beloved Son. In you, I am well pleased. This is before Jesus has done anything. This is before he's raised the dead. This is before he's gone to the cross. This is before he's healed deaf ears, blind eyes, whatever. He's done nothing, and the Father still says, I am pleased with you. And what Ed Peoric has pointed out is, is he said that it's at this moment that it's like there's an earthquake in the soul of Jesus. As all of the Father's love and affirmation and adoration comes pouring into him publicly. Not just privately. I'm sure this has happened privately. I'm sure the Father spoke to him. I'm sure they've talked about it. How, do I, how am I so sure? Because Jesus built a lifestyle of prayer privately before he ever ministered publicly. He would 
continuously be drawn away. He would continually walk away just to be with the Father. And the habits that, that he didn't form those habits when he started ministering publicly. So I'm convinced that the Father had already said this over him. I'm convinced the Father had already spoken to him. But this is the first time that he's doing it publicly in front of everybody. And he comes up and there's this earthquake in his soul. Love, affirmation, approval, and calling. You know, sometimes this is like us. Sometimes we have this incredible encounter. We have this encounter with God where, where only he can touch us. I remember one such encounter. It was, in, um, it was at youth camp in 2005. We have a youth camp coming up very similarly. Our youth are going away in a, couple, in a couple weeks. Actually, next week we're leaving. And I say we because Hendria and I are going up for a night or two. We're going to pray. We're going to hang out. We're going to be with the youth. It's going to be incredible. Parents, if you want us to prank your youth, I will send you my prices. I'm just letting you know. I do not charge in money. I charge in food items. Um, and we are praying that lives get marked and lives get touched that week. Because my life got marked and my life got touched in fall 2005. Sorry, end of August 2005. I went on this youth camp. And I, I remember this one night. I can remember the floor. I can remember the building. I can remember what I was wearing. Because I'm sitting there in the middle of the sermon and someone's preaching. And I close my eyes. And when I close my eyes, it's like, it's like I'm transported somewhere else. And all I can hear is I can hear the sound of a lion roaring. I can hear the lion's roar and it's building and it's cre crescendoing and it's getting huge and it's getting so um, loud that I'm beginning to feel it. You know when something's so loud that you can feel it? And I, I have my eyes closed and right then I see on a ridge this lion standing and pacing and looking at me. And I knew it was the lion of the tribe of Judah. I knew it was Jesus, and I could see him roaring, and as I continued looking, what happened is this roar that I could feel here began to come into me, and as it came into me, I could feel just a little bit of this earthquake in my soul, and that night, I felt like God spoke to me, and he said, John, will you give me your life? Will you give me your life? Will you walk with me all the days of your life? I'm calling you. I have chosen you. I'm speaking to you. Now come walk with me. And I said, yes, God, from the depth of my being, I said, yes. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. I didn't know where I'd end up. I wasn't married. I wasn't dating. I was a youth. I was a teenager. But all I knew was that the lion had called, and I said yes. And that moment marked me. And we have moments like that. We have moments where the heavens open, where God speaks to us. And you know what we want to do? We want another one of those encounters because it feels so good. It gives us the, oh man, yes. I was rolling, I was shaking, gotta know, I'm just on this high, it feels so good. And how awkward would it have been of Jesus if the first thing he did was he got out of the water, walked to the shore, and got back in line to be baptized again. Because all he wanted was he wanted another encounter. 
Encounters are amazing. Encounters are great. But the encounter is there that we might be filled with the Spirit. And when we look at what, what begins to happen in the life of Jesus, is the Spirit does something to him. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record their perspective of it, but it's all slightly different. And that's because the infilling of the Holy Spirit outwardly can look very different to very many people, but inwardly, you know it's him. Inwardly, you know it, he's speaking. Inwardly, you know he's leading you. And that's because in Matthew, it says that Jesus was filled by the Spirit and then led, sorry, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. And Luke Turn, Luke 4, 1. He says this, Then Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Spirit, and then the Spirit led him. Mark talks about how Jesus was driven by the Spirit, and that word used for driven is an ejection. It's, it's like God is saying, Okay, now is the time. Go. No more here. Go. It's the same thing that happened to Joseph. And one day, Joseph went from being in the prison to being in the palace. And one day, why? It's because it's the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's the movement as we say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me, come and fill me, come and fill me. Now go. Now I have to go. I have to go because he is the missionary God. He is the sending God. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends the church. And if we truly have an encounter with the living God, that means that we have got to be sent. We have got to go. We've got to respond to the call. And the call looks different to different people. The call can look awkward. The call can look weird. But all we know is that I don't know where I'm going, but I can't stay here. Sometimes that's all we have. I don't know what's ahead, but I know I can no longer stay where I am. I don't know who I'm going to. I don't know what I'm going to. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I can't stay. And some of us in this room, we've responded to the call of God. We've said, yes, God. We moved here. We don't know what for. And sometimes I think the hardest thing in that moment is when God says, go, and we say, what for? We don't know what we're going for. We don't know what we're going to inherit. You may not know what, but you know who. You may not know where, but you know who. You may not know why, but you know who. And the greatest thing that you get when you say yes to God is you get to inherit him. You get him. You get him as he meets you. You get him as he welcomes you. You get him as you go deeper. And if you have him, you have all. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when Hendry and I, when God started speaking to us and he said, go, we looked around at what we had built, we looked around at what we had done, and it made no sense. God, I planted a church. Why are you asking us to go to this school of revival? God, Hendria is nursing. Why are you asking us to leave a job and become students? God, we have a house. God, we own dirt with bricks on it. Why are you asking us to leave? 
and we didn't know why, but we knew who. We knew that he was calling us. We knew that he was leading us. And so we knew that we knew that we knew that we had to say yes. We had to go. Because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills you, is that he leads you. He starts to eject you. He starts to drive you. And the greatest thing you can do is say yes to the call. And some of you, as you say yes, you're going to come to, you're going to, come to me, and I pray I have this privilege of hearing some of you say, John, God has called us, and because he's called us, we're moving. We're physically leaving Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. We're going somewhere. And it will be my joy and my honor to pray with you and to send you. And some of you will come and say, John, we've heard from the Holy Spirit. He's filled us. He's sending us. But he's not sending us to move physically. He's sending us into our schools and into our families and into our workplaces. And it will be our joy and our honor to pray with you and to send you. Because we are being sent into Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill. We don't just go. You may think you've just, you're just living there. You may think you've just shown up. You may have even thought it's your decision. No, 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 my friends. It is the living God who is sending us into our cities and our country so that the fame of Jesus may fill the earth. So Jesus goes. He goes into the desert. And he faces three temptations. And, and as JT so astutely pointed out, there are temptations of politics, power, and popularity. And he said, and he overcame the temptations. And he overcame. Think about this, what he could have done. He could have said, no, 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 devil. You don't understand. I am the word of God. And I say, go. But he doesn't do that. He quotes scripture to Satan. He quotes the same scripture that he himself had revealed to the prophets. He says the same thing that he's already spoken. Why? Because Jesus submitted his identity to the Bible. Because Jesus submitted his identity to God. He let God define him. And these two questions that drive us of identity and purpose, who am I and what am I called to? The only time we fail those questions is when we try to answer those questions. This is when we say, oh, I know who I am. Oh, I know what I'm called to. This is what it's going to look like. This is who I'm going to marry. Boom, 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 boom. When we yield ourselves, submit ourselves to who he is and allow him to define us, allow him to identify us and allow him to purpose us and call us, that's when we gain victory. Because if we can, if we can steward those questions, what is my identity and what is my purpose, what it leads to is power. Because it says, after Jesus had finished the temptations and successfully finished, says in verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Before, he was only full of the Spirit. Something happened in those 40 days and 40 nights where power was released upon him. And power was released upon him 
when the questions of identity and purpose were answered. Because God will always anoint you with power to fulfill the purpose that he gives to you. The victories that you gain when no one else is looking and no one else is watching in the private place are the same victories that will enable you to stand in the public place. And they're also the same victories that allows the power of God to flow into your life and the same victories that enable you to say no to the public trials. See, Jesus when no one knew in the desert, he says no to the temptations of power, politics, and popularity. And then he comes back in the power of the Spirit. People start getting healed. People start getting delivered. And it says here, news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. And my prayer for us is that we would be such a people who know we are, who we are and what we're called to, that the power of God comes and begins to rest on us. And the fame of Jesus begins to fill Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill. As people know, there's something different about that person. There's something unique about them. As blind eyes start opening, as deaf ears start opening, as the dead start being raised, but also as we begin to show people this is what life full of joy and life full of peace and life full of grace looks like. When that happens, people start going, oh my gosh, that's powerful. And what will happen is people will want that from you. They'll want to be with you. The anointing that's on your life will open doors that no man can open. And people will want to be in your presence. And the same temptations that you were faced with privately, you will then be faced with publicly. Because Jesus himself, even though he, he gained victory over power, politics, and popularity, he was faced with it again publicly. He could have, people were trying to convince him to stay where he was. People are trying to convince him, no, 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 stay with us. No, you're healing the sick. You're casting out demons. Stay where you, stay here. And he says, no, 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 I need to go because it is for this purpose I am sent. Popularity. Herod wants to get, Herod wants to get near him. The fame of Jesus starts to spread. Herod goes, oh, who's that? I want him. And Jesus goes, you tell that fox. You go tell that fox I'm not interested. What a great line. I want to say that to someone someday. You go tell that fox. Because he refused to be pulled out of his purpose. And power, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter attacks the servant who's come to arrest him. And Jesus goes, no, 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 don't you understand? My father can send legions of angels. But it's not for this purpose I've come. Once again, he could have used power to serve himself and not the people he sent to. And when we begin to say yes to the invitation from God, to use his power to bless those around us instead of for personal gain, that's when we position ourselves for the increase. That's when more begins to come. That's when the blessing and the floodgates of heaven begin to open up over our lives because God knows that he can trust us and we won't use his blessing to enrich ourselves but to enrich others.
And the best thing you can do in your life right now is you can say, God, I say yes. God, I say yes to that. God, I say yes to that invitation. I say, yes, Lord, would you anoint me with your power? Would you anoint me with your ability that I might do what you called me to do? Are you facing a problem in your workplace? That's the invitation from God to ask him for his power. Are you facing a problem in your family? That's the invitation from God to ask him for his power. Are you facing a problem in your finances? That's the invitation from God to ask him for his power. Because that's the only thing that he has meant to take us through is himself. Because the interesting thing is, is that Jesus, when he's filled by the Spirit, he's then led into the wilderness. The word of God gets spoken over him, and then he's led into temptation and trial and testing. Because the very word of God, the very word that God speaks over you is the very word that will attract trial and temptation and difficulty into your life. Because it's the word that needs to be tested. It's the word that needs to take its root in us. It's the word that needs to go deep into us so that we may flourish. Because if we can learn how to flourish privately, we will flourish publicly. But it happens in the place of testing and trial and difficulty. So for some of you, you've been wondering, God, you, speak, you spoke a word over me. You said that I was going to prosper financially. I, can't, I don't understand why I'm facing all these financial hardships. It's because the word is being tested. God, you said that my family would be together, but we are more divided than ever. It's because the word is being tested. It's be, God promised you. He called you. God, I've given up everything. God, I've moved here. God, I've made this my home. Why are we struggling? It's because the word is being tested. Because he's so good that he's setting you up. So that in the future, the fruit that comes from your life will nourish generations and nations. So that as your roots go deep into him, you will begin to flourish. And as you flourish, you'll begin to nourish others. So for some of us, what does the filling of the Spirit look like? It looks like trial. It looks like tribulation. It looks like difficulty. But every season of difficulty is meant to allow the word to go deep so that you can flourish in him. So for some of you, I speak hope into your hearts. I speak hope into your lives. Because you, you've been going, God, why? God, why? God, why? God, I don't understand. God, you, you've sent me, but I don't know where you've sent me. God, you've, you've sent me, but I don't know what you've sent me to. God, you've sent me, but I don't, I don't know Why? And what he's saying is you may, not not, you may not know what, but you know who. You may not know why, but you know who. You may not know when, but you know who. And when you know him and when you have him, you have everything. You have everything. You have everything. And as we continually say yes to him over and over and over again, as we allow him to define us, as we allow him to identify us, power begins to be released. Earlier in worship, I felt like the Lord whispered to me and he said, son, 
identity is not formed in encounter alone. The encounter itself is not the place where your identities are formed. The encounter alone is not the place where purpose is given. It's given as we walk it out. It's given as we put it into practice in everyday life. It's given as we begin to plow the ground of our hearts and allow his word to go deep. That begins to take root and spring up and it brings forth a harvest. And as I've, been, as I've been speaking, there are some of you who are going, oh my gosh, John, it's like you're reading my mail. This is where I am. This is what's going on. That's good because it's not me. It's the Father. It's in his goodness he is drawing you and bringing you to him. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to begin wrapping up. And there are a couple invitations that, that I'd like to make for us. The first actually is for those of us in this room or who are watching who have never before said yes to Jesus. You've never before allowed him to be your identity. You've never before allowed him to be your purpose. And to you, the invitation is to allow Jesus to say yes to him and and put him on the throne of your life. Would you close your eyes across this room? And if that's you, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. You can say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Would you come and would you be my identity? Would you come and would you be my purpose? Would you come and would you take me on the wildest journey, the greatest adventure of my life? I'm so sorry for the areas I've turned away from you. Would you bring me back to you? And be the Lord of my life. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we believe that you have been brought into the family of God. And we would like to welcome you and pray with you. And I'd like to invite you to join us at the back after the service at the table. We'd love to pray with you. There are others in this room who hasn't been speaking. You've been saying, either I made something else my identity or made something else my purpose besides God. Or you're in the middle of some trial and tribulation and hardship. And you're saying, God, I don't know where you are. God, I don't know what's going on. God, where are you? And to you, he's coming close to you and beginning to speak to you. And the assurance isn't the outcome. The assurance is that you get him. You get him. You get to walk with him and hear him because Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. There are some of you who have been saying, God, would you fill me with more power? Would you anoint me with more power? And to to you, we want to pray with you. We want to lay our hands on you. We want to bless you. We want to agree with you. And then there are some of you who are saying, I need, I need another encounter. I need an encounter of his goodness. I need an encounter of him, of, of him speaking over me and the earthquake in my soul. And we can't manufacture that. We can't make it happen. But what we can do is we can stand with you and pray with you and trust and believe and say, God, would you encounter our friend? 
So I'd like to invite you boldly, if, that, if you're in either one of those camps, any of those camps that I just called out, I'd like you to come out of your seat and come up to the front. Because what we're going to do is we are going to fix our gaze heavenward. We're going to fix our gaze. The bands, I've asked them to lead us and give me Jesus one more time. Our ministry team is going to come around and they're just going to lay hands on you and pray with you. But church family, the greatest thing we can do with our lives is say yes. The greatest thing we can do with our lives is say yes to the journey, yes to the process, yes to the lover. The greatest thing we can do is say yes. And this morning, we're going to say yes. We're going to say yes in the midst of all other voices. We're going to say yes in the midst of all other temptations. We're going to say yes in the midst of trial. We're going to say yes in the midst of problems. We're saying yes to Jesus this morning. And I'm going to invite you to raise your hands where you are. And we're just going to start singing, give me Jesus. We say yes to Jesus. And as this begins to come out of you, let it become a prayer. Let it become a cry of your heart where we are saying, Jesus, we say yes to you. Jesus, we surrender to you once again. Jesus, you can have our lives. Jesus, you can take the world. Just give us you. Because if we have you, we have everything. If, you, if we have you, we have all. If we have you, you are all we need. Come on, church. Let's lift our hands. Let's, let's lift our voices.
Thank you.